0: From Galilee, holiday travelers would either go around Samaria on the east side of the Jordan River, cross the Jordan again, and head towards Jericho, the path of the original conquerors, and then the Jericho Road to Bethany and Jerusalem. Or, like Jesus' group, they would go through Samaria, but still have to go around the Judean hills and funnel into Jerusalem through the Jericho Road as well. They have safely journeyed together and have arrived at Bethany. Welcome to Aniconosis, where we renew our minds towards biblical worldview and the scriptures. This is a show for anyone looking to build or repair their biblical worldview. Whether you're 100% comfortable in the current Christian culture, or you feel like an outsider looking in, everyone is welcome. My name is Jeremy Agin. I'm just a guy with a Bible literacy background who has ASD and who thinks a lot about how to think. Today, Jesus will explain prayer and love again. We're returning to Luke's authorized official account in Luke chapter 10, starting in verses 38 to 42. Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. I think it is very likely that this Mary and Martha are the same Mary and Martha that live in Bethany and who have a brother named Lazarus that Jesus is good friends with. It isn't specific to the town here. It doesn't mention Lazarus. And Mary was an extremely common name. So it could be a different set of Mary's and Martha's. But considering the journey to Jerusalem, the route and the town on the way, I think this is the Bethany sisters. John is the only gospel writer to tell us the tale of Lazarus. Luke isn't going to tell that story, so it would be kind of weird for him to make an editor's note that these are the same or different Mary and Martha because John's account hasn't even been written yet. Maybe Lazarus is a disciple and mentioning him at his home would be weird. Maybe he's already in Jerusalem. We know that Jesus loved all of these siblings, if from nothing else, probably from his frequent visits on the way to Jerusalem. This Mary isn't Jesus's mommy. This Mary isn't the disciple Mary Magdalene. This isn't Mary, the mother of James from the cross. And this isn't Mary, the mother of Joseph from the burial. It's just Mary and it's just Martha. And they've opened their home to Jesus. And then they both choose to show Jesus honor and love, but in very different ways. Martha is anxiously serving Jesus and Mary is at his feet listening to him teach. Jesus, can you send Mary in here to help me? Don't you care? She's not helping me. No, Mary has chosen better. There are dozens of books about these two paths, especially writings designed for women. I don't think this is a lesson about proper hospitality or womanhood. It's just about best choices. Drawing close to Jesus is always better than doing the thing he hasn't asked us to and then asking him for backup. Oftentimes, I feel Jesus' present best when I am serving others, but that is because of the spirit inside them. When I'm serving just to serve or to impress the Lord or to make myself worthy in his sight, I'm no longer drawing near to him. I'm alone, in a sense. I'm alone in the act. And I wonder how many people overactively serve, have a faint relationship with Jesus, serving him so much that they don't know him. In a world of to-do lists, the best thing you can do is sunbathe, pardon the pun, bask in the light of the sun, S-O-N, spending time in prayer and communion with Jesus. Not because you have to or because it's on your list, but because you want it. Is the want there? Speaking of prayer, Jesus has some instructions. Remember back, the disciples asked Jesus how to pray, and he shared with them what is now known as the Lord's Prayer something that I recite at my church every week. That was way back at the Sermon on the Mount, and many new people have joined since then. I imagine many had forgotten it. Luke 11, 1-4 Now, Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, When you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins. For we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us and lead us not into temptation. Um, Jesus, that's not how it goes. No, see here, Jesus provides the framework, the gist. The gist is enough. It's not a magical uh, reciting when you sit down to pray, pray first for God's name to be revered to all men, for his reputation to be enriched, and then pray for the kingdom of God that it may come quickly, and then pray for your life that you may eat and live, and then ask for forgiveness for your sins and strength to forgive others. Pray that you do not fall into temptation. Ask for pathways out. That is a great place to start, whether it's flowery, and recitable or whether it's kind of clunky like this version in luke he continues in verse five and he said to them which of you has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him friend lend me three loaves for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey and i have nothing to set before him and he answers from within do not bother me the door is now shut and my children are with me in bed i cannot get up and give you anything i tell you Though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. And I tell you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be open. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, we'll give him a scorpion. If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? Now, some of this is repeated from the Sermon on the Mount as well. He isn't afraid to recycle good material when it's still in need. In verses 5 through 8, you can see a good example being explained from a bad example. When we go to God in prayer, Like a friend to another friend for bread, no matter the hour, God will answer the door. Answer the door, not always answer the prayer. God will be wise with the gifts that he gives his children, and our persistent prayer is heard and answered by God. God is always there to meet our needs, no matter what time no matter what place. And God always gives good gifts to his children. He won't choose to give you your every want because that would likely destroy you. He gives you what you need. Are you in a tough situation? You're fully equipped for this moment. You don't have too much or too little. You are perfect for this moment, even if you are at the end of yourself and all you have is faith in him. Now, Jesus says God will give the Holy Spirit as a good gift to his children. Now, who's praying for that? In Jesus' day, the religious leaders believed that the Holy Spirit was only bestowed upon the most holy person. And even then, you would be at risk of losing the Spirit upon sin. Here, Jesus is saying that they can ask for it and God will give it. Now, we have the benefit of knowing how this plays out at Pentecost, but if we sit in it with them, with their lack of understanding, would you dare pray for that? Would God ever be so good to give himself to you? What must be new about you for that to even work? This would be tough to understand. I would have to ponder this for days. Now, the closer Jesus gets to Jerusalem, the more he can be bombarded by religious leaders. And remember, they are now planning on finding a way to kill him. Next, Jesus finds himself accused of working for Beelzebul. And like I said many episodes ago, this is a variation of Baal and Zebub, which was a Semitic deity worshipped by the Philistines in 2 Kings chapter 1, and naturally had associations with evil and was labeled a powerful demon. Baal in Ugaric means Lord, and Zebul means heavenly places. Thus, it would have been blasphemy in ancient Israel, and they might have used the word Beelzebub as a replacement to mock it, because Zebub is dung. So instead of Lord of heaven. It is Lord of poo. Okay. Lowercase g, God of poop. Now, how many times has this been the accusation against Jesus now? He will be asked for a miraculous sign again. Really? Again? And Jesus will answer the same way he did about a year earlier. We know it's a separate incident because first, Luke has us in Judea, not Galilee. And second, The demon Jesus exercised before was blind and mute, but this one is just mute because if he was blind as well, the author, Dr. Luke, would have likely noted it. And finally, Jesus followed the previous episode with an array of parables, but this time he'll just go to dinner. Luke 11 verses 14 to 23. Now he was casting out a demon that was mute. When the demon had gone out, the mute man spoke and the people marveled, but some of them said, He casts out demons by Beelzebub, the prince of demons, while another, to test him, kept seeking from him a sign from heaven. But he, knowing their thoughts, said to them, Every kingdom divided against itself is laid waste, and a divided household falls. And if Satan also is divided amongst himself, how will his kingdom stand? For you say that I cast out demons by Beelzebul. But if I cast out demons by Beelzebul, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore they will be your judges. But if it is by the finger of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. When a strong man, fully armed, guards his own palace... His goods are safe, but when one stronger than he attacks him and overcomes him, he takes away his armor in which he trusted and then divides his spoil. Whoever is not with me is against me, and whoever does not gather with me scatters. So Jesus casts out a demon, gets accused of having demons, and then explains that kingdoms do not work against themselves. Also, in a fight, the stronger man will win. And Jesus is claiming to be the strong man that scatters the other strong men. Are we with him? Jesus, are you talking about physically overpowering people or is this spiritual? Verse 24. When the unclean spirit has gone out of a person, it passes through waterless places seeking rest and finds none. It says, I will return to my house from which I came. And when it comes, it finds the house swept and put in order. Then it goes and brings seven other spirits, more evil than itself, and they enter and dwell there. And the last state of that person is worse than the first. In isolation, this parable is clear. If you start with one evil spirit and you end up with more evil spirits, that's worse. I don't know why evil spirits are afraid of water, but Jesus highlights that they're looking for waterless spaces to dwell, and this is consistent all through Scripture. Using Jesus' context, this evil spirit is like the strong men who break and enter. You might get all your crap together, and then they come roaring back and kick in your door. Jesus told this parable before in Matthew 12. And then his setup was the sign of Jonah. This time, he follows it with the sign of Jonah. But not without an interruption first. Verse 27 and 28. As he said these things, a woman in the crowd raised her voice and said to him, Blessed is the womb that bore you and the breasts at which you nursed. But he said, Blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and keep it. This woman is trying to indirectly bless Jesus by blessing Mary. Jesus says that those who listen to God and follow him are the ones who are blessed. And this matches the, the law's words of life versus death. Then in verses 29 to 32, Jesus tells the gathering crowds that they will get no sign other than the sign of Jonah. Chronologically, this is the third time he has said this the other two in Matthew. And we can understand it easy enough, and I don't need to read it all again here. Jonah, in a fish three days and three nights, good as dead, puked up on the land live again. Jesus will be in the tomb three days, three nights, and then will raise to life again. In the story of Jonah, the Ninevites repented at the word of the Lord, and it was shocking. And Jesus uses this truth to illustrate a contrast. Nineveh will rise in judgment over this generation. They repented at Jonah's word, but someone greater than Jonah is there. And what's interesting is that Jesus has been giving other signs, or at least what John calls signs, like water into wine at the wedding, healing the officer's son, healing the paralytic, feeding the 5,000, walking on water, and there's two more of those seven signs to go in his book. So what does Jesus mean that no other sign will be given? I think it's important to remember that we're reading Luke's account, not John's. So we must use Luke's rules. He is using the Hebrew understanding of miracles and signs. Miracles were supernatural acts, while signs were indicative that uh, to prove the legitimacy of the doer as being from God. So some signs can be miracles, as John states, but not all miracles are signs. And Luke is quoting Jesus here that there will be no sign but Jonah. In the book of Isaiah, God told King Ahaz to ask him for a sign. And Ahaz said that he didn't want to test God. The religious leaders here do want to test God. And Jesus is saying, no, you will understand my legitimacy when like Jonah in the whale, Or the fish. I will come back from the dead. And then he says there's someone greater than Jonah here. Then, verse 33. No one after lighting a lamp puts it in a cellar or under a basket, but on a stand so that those who enter may see the light. Your eye is the lamp of your body. When your eye is healthy, your whole body is full of light. But when it is bad, your body is full of darkness. Therefore be careful lest the light in you be darkness. If then... Your whole body is full of light, having no part dark. It will be wholly bright. So when a lamp with its rays gives you light. This is in effect the same message Jonah gave the Ninevites. Repent. Stop the darkness. Turn to the light. And the Ninevites did. These crowds won't. Also, Jesus is giving us the foundations of the lyrics uh, to this little light of mine. I'm going to let it shine. But I don't think that song depicts the spirit of Jesus' words here. The Jewish people thought of good eyes as generous ones. They see need and they help it. Bad eyes were stingy eyes who only helped themselves and were blind to the needs of others. And I think Jesus may be touching on that idea here. This line would have caused confusion for the audible listeners because they can't reread it. He said, therefore, be careful, lest the light in you be darkness. Now, physical light cannot be darkness, but spiritual light can be darkness. It would be false faith or false religion that would be dark light. And this will be clearer in the next episode. And as Paul will later write, they are clinging to the forms, but not the power. As we continue to build our biblical worldview, we want to think about what in our minds needs renewed. Being a person of light is to act with love for others. This is what Jesus wants his followers to partake in. Both Mary and Martha attempted this in different ways. Mary sat at Jesus' feet and honored him. Martha was busy trying to be hospitable. Drawing close to Jesus is always better than doing things he hasn't asked us to do. Jesus might ask you to be hospitable and act like Martha, and that could be good in a season, but sometimes he wants us to rest with him, and this energizes us to love others at the next opportunity. Thank you for listening. Anakonosis is a project for anyone anywhere who's looking to renew their biblical worldview. Next time, Jesus will be a dinner guest.